Hello and welcome to Tell Me About Your D&D Character, a podcast where people get a chance to talk about their characters from different role-playing games. I'm your host Jeremy, and today it's my pleasure to talk with Art Hunter, one of the uh, one of the cast from the official Chaosium uh, Call of Cthulhu uh, stream that is on a number is on Twitch and is on YouTube and a whole bunch of stuff, and it's been really fun to talk to. Um, I first met Art when they were at a, a convention, I think it was ArcanaCon, a couple of years ago. And um, they were speaking with my friend Ben Byrne, and I've basically been trying to get out on a show like this ever since. Uh, it's, it's been up and down. COVID has gotten in the way a lot of the time, as we've found through this year. But it really was a joy speaking with them. I had a great time, and honestly, after the recording stopped, we kept going for another hour or so, uh, just continuing to talk about other games that we loved. And hopefully, we'll be able to get to hear that sometime in the future. So let's get into the episode. shitty i'm very particular uh, if i'm running a game because i need to have all of my books fro- folks come to me i'm like no no i'm not traveling places i don't own a car this is not a thing that's happening like you're coming to mine so i have all my shit and you bring dice in yourself that's all i mean that's all they really need isn't mm-hmm. it it's the dice in the brain and that's kind of um kind of everything I mean, especially for vampire, where it's like, I would consider it a more rules light. I mean, it's not rules light, but it's lighter than, you know, 3.5 ed or something like that, where it's like everyone needs their own fucking book. (laughs) Yeah, this is what I find fascinating about vampire, that it does, I mean, the book is massive. I mean, I've Mm. I've got it up there and it, it feels like a tome. And every time I go looking for a rule, I find it really difficult to find anything. Because it's not laid out the way I'm expecting, but I rarely have to go looking for a rule. It's so so simple most of the time. Like the rules you actually need are on like five to eight pages, but the rest mm. of the book is like it's vibe, and you mm. need that for a game like Vampire, especially like as someone who's come from D and D, who's very used to like very specific ways of playing a game and very specific ways of creating modules and vampires just like, I don't fucking know, tell a narrative, go do your thing. And you're like, <laughs> You're here to tell stories, just go fuck off. Yeah, <laughs> tell your story. And you're like, what story? And they're like, well, your character's stories. And you're like, mm-hmm. huh? They're like, yeah, <laughs> because, because your player characters are your narrative. And you're like, mm-hmm. But dungeons, and that's pretty much and adventures what? and things. I think this yeah. is why vampire often ends up as cool. We're going to spend three hours trying to get tea for the Nosferatu because he can't go out in the sun. Yeah, or he can't go much. out and I, talk I feel to people. Like, yeah, there's something really fascinating about like I've I've been uh, very lucky to to play test some VTM um, like one shot things that were actually incredibly well written and were like they worked regardless of who your player characters were um but there were like limits on uh you know who you who you could play and how like what clans you could be and and things you could have um for like specific parts of the scenario which kind of helped um, but it's probably the first and only time I have seen, um, like, 
also given that I have not played Vampire for a very long, um, it's sort of the first and only thing that I've come across in fifth edition that's like, you can play this regardless of who your characters are, as opposed to the um, like starter set that Modiphius brought, brought out, which was the new, I think it's called New Blood or something like that. Um, and it gives you pre-gen characters to play as, and those pre-gen characters are like written into the, the narrative that they're telling. And I feel like as someone who's come from writing, you know, one shots for D&D and, and like pre running pre-gen campaigns to now doing an entirely homebrew vampire, that inability or like difficulty of creating a story independent of your characters is really fascinating. Um, and I guess just shows like how important the like vampire takes player character, you know, agency and and story and, and everything like that. Whereas DD is like, I don't know, get some fuckwits together and go bash down a door, get some treasure, and then I don't know, maybe murder a dragon or get murdered. I don't know and I don't care. And I say this with a deep love of DD. <laughs> DD is very much here is the dungeon. You can go in it, you cannot, you can do whatever you want doesn't matter who you are the dungeon will always be there and the dungeon will always yeah. be the same yeah. whereas it feels vampire is very much about delving into the person that you've created yeah. and I mean, discovering yeah, yeah. well what makes them a vampire what makes them tick what make what are their dreams what are their goals what's going to kill them mm. in the end yeah and like usually what kills them in the end is themselves um if you've if you've done it right <laughs> but yeah the the difference between like yeah D being there is always something to do, but it's very much like independent of who you are outside of adventurers versus vampire where like the, the, the game itself, the tagline is, you know, a game of personal and political horror. Um, and so it brings that aspect in really nicely. And like for a horror game, I must admit my vampire game is unhelpfully wholesome. <laughs> like I do my best. I'm I'm a, I'm not a horror aficionado by any stretch of the imagination. I, I'm it's not actually really my jam. It's outside of TTRPGs, which I actually really enjoy horror in, but um, like watching stuff, reading stuff, mm. I'm not. I'm the same. I, yeah, I can't. I can't stand. I, I know Slither, the the James Gunn film, is supposed to be one of the best, and Nathan Fillion's in it. Apparently, it's it's slugs that get in your brain or something like that. Apparently, it's amazing. I am never going to watch it. I love James Gunn. I love Nathan Fillion. I love everyone involved. Never going to watch it just because it looks creepy and I don't want to see that. But if I'm running a game based on it, that'd be really fun. Yeah, yeah. Like, absolutely. There's, um, like, my big thing is I don't do zombies and I don't like body horror. I like kind of, and to me, body horror is also like slasher shit. So sore and stuff like that. I'm like, I just, mm. but you put me in a TTRPG world and you you tell me that someone's eyeballs have cauliflowered out of their sockets because they've been like burnt. And I'm like, fuck yeah, that's amazing. (laughs) Like, also, I think the difference for me at least is, a lot of the horror stuff that happens in RPGs happens around you. Some of it happens yeah. to your character, but you have a lot more agency in the way that you can um, you can interact with the medium. So if you're like, there's some spooky stairs down there and I don't have a light, I'm going to go get a light, as opposed mm-hmm. to a movie where it's like spooky stairs and the character that you're meant to be kind of like attached to is going to go and do the dumb thing because that's what needs to happen for the story to happen but you don't get a say in like, there's very little agency. You just kind of have to deal with the consequences. Whereas 
yeah, in a in a CTRPG, if you're like, I'm gonna go down the spooky stairs without a light, you already kind of know that you've made that choice and you're you're into whatever's gonna happen. Um, also, safety tools. <laughs> you don't get safety tools with movies in the same way no. you get safety tools with RPGs. I'm like, yeah, it's so like the only thing that with a movie, the only safety tool you have is the stop and the the pause button. Yeah, like, and you if just you stop, if like, like break thrown, it down throwing something really visceral up on screen that's it that's there now you can't just be like nope i'm gonna erase it from my mind you have to be like oh god i, I saw that forever particularly when you don't know it's coming it's yeah. never like jump scares it's suddenly it's there and you were not warned about it you were not prepared for it yeah it's some great films will and that'll heighten that tension so when it comes it, the, the scare is almost the catharsis yeah. because the tension is gone now but most of them they do not it's just that's what you're seeing good luck with that bye it's going to haunt your nightmares forever yeah totally it's it's that weird yeah i think it's like that's why i don't i really don't like horrors as someone who has such visceral reactions to things and can't really turn that off like that mm -hmm. hyper empathy you're just like oh, i just someone just got like viscerally beheaded and i can feel it in my spine mm. oh my <laughs> god please i don't like it um yeah. whereas you know if you know that that's something that can like one of my favorite character deaths of all time i was playing a one shot for call of cthulhu at i think it was the um someone had rewritten call of cthulhu as a dr zeus book <laughs> and it was just oh like god. it was amazing uh that's i awesome. don't have a I don't have a copy. You can find it. I can't remember what it's called. Yeah. If you look at like Call of Cthulhu, uh, Dr. Zeus, um, I think Chaosium was the publisher, but they had a book launch. And as part of that, we were doing like one shots. Um, and I absolutely decided in the moment, because I was like, look, I'm not super good on, on horror and I don't really know what my boundaries are because I haven't played a lot, but I'm going to just drive it like I stole it. And I was playing a pyromaniac. I was technically playing a fire breather in a circus, but I like to think that all of those people are pyromaniacs because I am. Um, and we were like fighting this slug lion. I don't know. It was kind of Slither-esque, like this slug thing yeah. got inside a lion and it made its eyes pop out on little stalks and it was gross. Um, and I freaked out like my character went mad and i was like i'm gonna fight it this seems like a good plan ran straight towards it killed it but in the process it took my head off and ripped my spine from my body <laughs> and i just wow. kind of and died and i was like gross amazing <laughs> gross and i was like totally into it i think because again I bought into the idea of that's what I wanted. Like I was given the choice of, do you want to fight? Do you want to run away? Do you want to faint? Essentially. Yeah. And I was like, I'm fight it. Fuck it. <laughs> Let's do that. Mm. Um, knowing that death was on the table and probably quite grisly death. So I appreciate that about TTRPGs as a general rule. I think that is another element that going into a situation like that, you're aware of the risks mm. that you are now aware. Okay. This is Call of Cthulhu. Oh, yeah. I am fighting a lion. I am fighting a lion in Call of Cthulhu. I need to be prepared for whatever happens to me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it probably will be something extreme. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I also, um, 
Does, so the slog thing existed in the world before it went into the lion and there was like weird goopy pasty stuff that either it left mm. behind or it was being stored in and because me being me i was like we we're investigating around and i was like mm, what's a goop taste like and the entire table and the keeper were like sorry what and i was like <laughs> i'm gonna taste the goop and the keeper's like are you sure and the rest of the table like do not say yes and i'm like yes <laughs> nothing happened it was just like but yeah now uh, with that specific keeper who i know he's to have a reputation for tasting tasting weird. the goop yeah, yeah tasting the goop <laughs> um but again you kind of need that character i think in a ttr in call of cthulhu specifically mm. who makes the dumb choices and sometimes it's fun for that to be you and sometimes it's fun to let someone else do it and like deal with the consequences but yeah. you always kind of know that that's the way that it should go because that's kind mm. of the story you're telling so if it does happen to you and something bad does happen you're like well this is interesting I, I touched a spooky statue and now there's an elder god in the back of my skull. Oops. It's like that's that's built into the genre that people mm. are doing dumb things with what they know not, that they're yeah. opening the gate without realizing you can't close the gate. Mm-hmm. And you've got it. It's, yeah, it's that. Um, have, I'm going to assume you haven't seen Cabin in the Woods then. Oh, the, God. No. Um, <laughs> no. if, it, if anything is like, if it's, if someone's like, this is a horror. Or someone's like, this is a thriller. Or someone's like, this is suspenseful. I'm like, no. Mm. Just just hard no. Well, um, to spoil everyone else, Cabin in the Woods basically deconstructs all of these horror movie tropes that it <laughs> relies on people being stupid. That they pump uh. this gas in, which reduces people's intelligence so that they do these dumb things. They pick up the, the creepy box, which unleashes the demons. Because they need all of these these horror things to happen to appease the elder gods which right. are essentially the viewers and it's a it's a whole thing quite That's clever cool. for yeah that which, is um, really cool I did, yeah i'm uh, trying to think like the closest i got to watching a horror film uh was it uh, i legend i went into oh yeah i am legend understanding that that was going to be vague like that to me is a horror film even though i think for some people they would say it, it isn't um, yeah, I. It's borderline. It was. It was a lot. It, it was not what I was expecting. Um, and yeah. then, uh, Jennifer's body was one that my oh, mate yeah. put on and was like, "It's great. It's really fun." I didn't realize that it was going to be a horror. And then we watched it, and I was like, oh. "I don't hate this film. <laughs> I didn't enjoy it, but also it's it was on. It is a film." <laughs> <laughs> um, I may have been angry at that friend for like two months because she <laughs> failed to tell me it was a horror. But I, I well, that's just that's just um, having those safety safety tools in place, doesn't it? You warn people what you watch before you watch it. I get like a lot of people though. I think, and this might be in part like I'm going to say neurotypical um in that most people sort of assume that everyone else has the same kind of buffer towards certain things that they do and so like for my friend that film for them was just kind of silly and funny and like there was some horror elements in there but as far as horror goes 
Jennifer's body is not exactly a particularly gruesome one. It's like B-grade. <laughs> and it's almost dumb enough to just be like one of those stupidly funny horror movies as opposed to like a serious one. Um, but I, like one of the things I must say I really appreciate about TTRPGs and a lot of the discussion that happens around them is the fact that like I have learned about safety tools and about the importance of things like content warnings and trigger warnings and, and making sure that people are aware of what they're getting into. Um, and I don't like, I am now much better at, at being able to articulate why I don't like horror genre, like as a genre and why I don't engage in that medium as much because I have the language of safety tools to kind of go, I don't have agency and I don't have buy-in and I haven't been given appropriate content warnings to like mm -hmm. decide how I want to engage with this. Um, so that's actually something that I think surprisingly come out of TTRPGs for me and the discussion around agency and buy-in and, and what makes a game good. And for a lot of people, I think what makes a game good is like unexpectedness and surprises and, and things that like jar you in certain ways. That's not true for everyone. And you don't need to obfuscate like potentially conflicting things in order to still do those or like i've completely lost how like that was not a good <laughs> sentence essentially you don't have to lie about what's in your game in order to create no. moments of suspense and surprise you can you can be up front and be like there's like there's going to be a jump scare and it still work there's going to be cauliflower eyes. There's going to be monsters. There's going to be all these things. And people go in and go, cool. I love those things. I want more of them. I want to be involved with that. Yeah. Anyone who doesn't can go, I don't like those things. Could we play something else? Yeah. Or even as simple as, you know, the discussion of like, when I say I don't like body horror and some, a few people have been like, cool, easy. Um, some people have been like, can you break that down a bit more? And it's like, all right, I don't like anything graphic to happen to me like my character. Graphic things can probably happen around my character, like other things can get affected. You can describe cauliflower burnt out eyes on an NPC, but maybe don't do that to my character without like, without the check-in, you know, without yeah. being like, start to describe and then, you know, make that eye contact and be like, is this cool? And then being either like, mm, be like let's just wrap that up real quick or yeah sure keep going this is amazing um <laughs> face melting joy <laughs> i'm always impressed that a lot of independent games that i'm finding now just have these laid out in the basic mm -hmm. rules that i picked yeah. up kids on bikes and mm -hmm. they got the whole the x card system just in the rules right there yeah. saying this is how you do it and mm -hmm. it's not laid out as this is something that every player needs. It's just, hey, check in at the start of the game. Figure out what you need to do. I was going to say, it's surprising that more, I guess, mainstream books or um, systems don't do that as much, mm. given how massive the books are to begin with. It's like you could do one page <laughs> yeah. on, on how to have uh, a safety tool in place at the beginning of session zero. Yeah, I mean, um, I know VTM didn't have it inbuilt, but they released like a PDF of... Um, you know, maybe here's how to approach some of this stuff in game, um, which annoyed a lot of a lot of people. Oh, I'm sure it, were going I'm to sure get annoyed anyway. Um, but the I internet think... is built on annoying, being annoyed at things <laughs> that don't really matter. 
very quiet, very small group of people being very loud about stuff that really they they're just like your fun is wrong it's like no our fun is our fun and you go you go do horrible things to people who are okay with that without telling them sure we're gonna that's what the fatal system is for but yeah for sure like i just got my copy of alice is missing and i am so looking forward to putting together uh like a couple of different groups for that because it's Mm -hmm. so the way i'm are you familiar with alice is missing I don't. I'm, I haven't come across that one yet. I'm... Um, it is a like, it's a role playing game um, based around the fact that a 16 year old girl called Alice has gone missing, and you play mm-hmm. as uh, up to five of her connections, who are all oh. trying to find her. Um, and the game that only happens awesome. over text message. Um, mm-hmm. It happens in a group chat and then individual chats. So text message, Facebook Messenger, Discord, if you if you want to set yeah. it up that way. And then there's cards that prompt narrative elements to happen during the story. And then eventually you find Alice and you there's like, you know, the, the fallout of what happened. Yeah. The fallout's pretty small. Like it's the last 10, 11, 12 minutes of the game or whatever. Um, but the game occurs over 90 minutes. There's a countdown timer with uh, thematic music attached to it. It's it's A+. Plus. Um, that sounds fantastic. Entertainment. So I think the person who created um, Alice is Missing is the person who wrote Kids on Brooms and or Kids on Bikes. I'm not entirely sure. Yep. Uh, but Hunter's Entertainment is a publisher and PAX Online um, the guy who wrote Alice is Missing did a playthrough of it with four other well-known, you know, TTRPG names. Um, and it is, if you want to find out exactly what you're in for, watch it. <laughs> it is, it's amazing. Um, but that has literally a script you read to your players as like a, here is how we th- think uh like if you're not sure how to approach this here is a script you can read your players it details the kind of themes that are likely to come up um like the the kind of um potential areas of discomfort that people are going to feel and let me know as the facilitator whether you are okay with that and it literally gives you a script to read to go over basic safety tools um and i was just like that's really clever and also the first game i've ever seen um that includes a debrief like it literally has a part at the back that you read through as a debriefing because of like how emotional Mm. it can get i was like that's Mm. really clever like most i think most games or gaming groups debrief naturally after a session you finish playing and then everyone talks about like they liked you know and and is that like returning to normalcy aspect um, but the fact that this game actually included it as part of the, the physical tools that yeah. was, were given to you. Um, and also I like based on seeing the game played and, and obviously having a look through some of the cards and, and the way that things can sort of play out. It's a, one of the few games I think where like having a physical prompt is mm. even more necessary because mm. you could get sort of stuck in that space. Um, and I think more games could benefit from that kind of thing as well, for sure. I think a lot of, I think every game could probably have a debrief session just afterwards because you do need to unwind, particularly when you've stepped into a role mm. that heavily in some sessions and you're like, oh, okay, yeah. <laughs> I might still be buzzing from that, but other people might need to wind down a bit and just need to 
to talk about what happened, what might happen next. And it's something that, again, I think it might be a neurotypical thing that sometimes people do this as general conversation and that's enough of a debrief for them. And it's not something that you even think about. Some in neurotypical cases would even think about having to do and having to set aside time for. Oh, yeah. I mean, I think the um, my other podcast of Dice and DMs, that kind of started because Ben and myself were running games at the mm. pub in Fitzroy and I'd drive him home afterwards because public transport was shocking. And it would just be we'd talk about the games that we'd run yeah. and we'd talk about ideas and that would be enough of a debrief to go, cool, I've set aside that session. I can talk about something else now, but it was this important thing. And now having the yeah. podcast, we can go, we can get into that as well, but it's just not after a game. Yeah, for sure. I, I do actually think like, on exactly what you just said about having like someone else to talk through a campaign with mm. one of the things i find um as a as a jokingly as a forever dm um is a lot of the people in my games or a lot of the people who run games um that i know uh, are in my games so i yeah. find it difficult to then have that space where i can rant about the session or like upcoming plans or things I'm not sure about. And I do have um, one of my players who is wonderful human. Um, and I talk to them like obfuscating things just so that like I have someone to bounce some stuff off. And I'm like, I'm thinking about this thing, but I'm not sure if it's like too intense. And and they're always just like, just do the thing. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> fine. Um, but I like the idea of having some kind of dm storyteller keeper like support group yeah kind of i was gonna say writer's room yeah. but also support group like i mm. i feel like there are definitely um things like that out there but like just having a dedicated group of people who you kind of know are never gonna be in one of your games or if they are it's like peripheral kind of stuff and to sit down and be like all right everyone i know like you might run D&D, you might run Kids on Bikes, I'm running Vampire the Masquerade. You don't need to know, like, the mechanics of what's going on. And if you do, I'll tell you. But, like, look, just let me lay down what happened and, like, where I'm getting stuck and what's happening next. And, like, did I do this right? Like, is this kind of, like, if, if, if you were presented with this or you were presenting this in a game, is this how you would, you know, tackle it? Um, and I'm sort of sad that i don't have something like that at the moment i haven't managed to find something like that or hell create something like that i suppose. Yeah, I feel that's one of the ones that you have to kind of build yourself as you come in yeah. contact with other storytellers and just go well i'm you're in in new york you're never going to really be in one of my games most likely just even because mm -hmm. of time zones so i can spew out my thoughts to you about these things i can say look i'm having a problem and it won't matter the systems don't matter because so much of the storyteller game master dungeon master aspect is its relationship and mm -hmm. people management it's just mm -hmm. trying to because even when you're playing yeah i've got a cat trying to, to pop that's it. totally fine I have, a, I have a cat currently sleeping on my couch i've been watching the um the amongst uh the hidden trees stream and making all the appearances of your cat. <laughs> oh, do, are you are you up to the bit where he manages to completely ruin my monologue? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was like, night. you have no idea how much I've been practicing this one fucking monologue, <laughs> so that it comes out good on stream, and so I can murder people using Shakespeare. And then he's just like, <laughs> meow. Like, 
this is it. it was very atmospheric though the cat scare yeah. was a classic i yeah he's i think like because we were playing when we did um the previous stream shadows of stillwater which i'm not sure if you i haven't watched that one yet uh that in, on the on the topic of characters which i'm sure we'll get back to eventually we will eventually. um that probably is one of the characters i'm most proud of um being yeah. joseph the the doctor just because of like his narrative arc and everything that he went through and if you want to talk about like coming back to that debriefing thing um the session the penultimate session which i think i think we did like 20 sessions like fair warning it's a it's a long ride but i for me so worth it like it was a great campaign um just everyone in it was incredible i have done improv for quite a while and i always love getting like my teeth into really emotive like just unpleasant scenes and there were some in that game that sort of came out in part through the prep and the research i've done for the character but also then having other people who've done the prep and the research for their characters and getting to points where you could have two characters at complete like tension odds with each other and then play that out in like really interesting ways um but well, it's interesting you said uh, research into your character i was wondering how much research you put into a character when you're building them oh okay well, and obviously that's... prep has a lot but yeah, yeah. research um, that's yeah so one thing i'm finding really fascinating about call of cthulhu and i think it's it's really only now that it's starting to coalesce for me i love dungeons and dragons i always have um i can get into my history of D and I won't go on random tangents i will but <laughs> um but for call of cthulhu specifically because you're playing in a real world setting with mm. real like jobs and real political things that happened at the time and um, sort of like historical context that actually existed, you can go back and look at the historical context of the time. You can look at um, what kind of jobs people had and what those things looked like. You can find photos, like real photos of people in that period and be like, huh, I actually have a lot more available to me to put into this character to make them feel like they would have existed in that world and obviously i did not so for the shadows of a still water that is based in 19th century frontier america so um i think the, the date we were playing was like 1896 ish um which is important for the character i was playing because i was playing a doctor fun fact 19 late night as late 1880s was around or 1870s was around the time they worked out that germs were a thing prior to that they were all like bloodletting and like taking people's arms off without anesthetic and horrible things like that yeah. whereas like because we were very very late in the 1800s um so you've got a splinter there goes your hand it's done so yeah pretty much <laughs> um but i ended up doing hours of research into 19th century medical practice um just so that when i was talking about what my character Doug did um specifically you know he was an incredibly good doctor like in call of cthulhu if you have a skill over 80 you're like almost mm. the best in the world kind of thing um so for me it was really important to at least have 
enough of an understanding on 19th century medical practices so I could bring that into my understanding of how my character would exist in the world. Um, I live right next to a hospital, this is going to happen. And then like just other stuff like what did the like what did frontier where the frontier yeah. west look like what um, can you get on a regular basis what would you be going to the shops for and just going yeah, i've got this readily available for me especially with call of cthulhu because i i approach it much more like um preparing like a, a character i would be acting as opposed to just a, a character that i'm going to sort of role play loosely in D D. um i actually went and did like found an article that was like here is how to prepare an, um, a character as an actor not as a gamer um and a lot of what I did for Joseph uh was to like go and look at images of the time and use those images to craft memories so by the time we actually started playing I had like five or six memories that I had built that were just sitting there with visuals that would have mostly matched the time period because like when like as you you as people or us as people have things in our past that like come in our heads not necessarily verbally but visually and that impacts how we react with the world Mm. around us so at least for joseph um i sort of crafted a bunch of those so that when certain moments happened it was like oh based on this memory this is probably how he'd react based on this experience. This is probably how he'd react. And I found that really good because it did mean that when we had those really emotive moments, you could pull something that felt real to that character versus like sort of logical. Um, I think think that's a great idea because you do have those touchstones as Mm. a fully fledged human being. And a lot of session zeros are designed to kind of find those things. It's like, has your character ever been in love? Have what's their favorite meal and those things. So you kind of get an idea of how they react in situations, but the memories there, the the core memories, that's such a great idea to do because you will know how they, they respond to things. Yeah. I definitely, as someone who's, I think more of a, like, I love words. I talk a lot. Um, but I, I love books, um, more so I think than movies because they give you that opportunity to create those visuals in your head. And I would say in terms of like, I am a more visual person. Um, Uh if you, if you take one of those like exercises of how good is your imagination, you say star, like, what does the star look like in your head? And I'm like, I don't fucking know the literal sun, like very, very like clear, internal picture scape um but it was something like the the problem i have with some of not the problem but what i find difficult with creating fleshed out dnd characters is the world is fantastical and you can sort of create those those memories but a lot of the um when you're putting together a backstory even in something like xanthar's guide to everything where it gives you those wonderful tables there's still only words on a page um and it wasn't until i was doing research for joseph and was sort of like huh like the the acting guide i was looking through was sort of like go and find images of the time so you can root yourself in the world that this character would have seen would have 
looked out over um but the idea to take that one step further and actually like think about the the memories um that would have been attached to that was um also kind of based on an acting workshop that I started doing last year before COVID happened and everything got cancelled. Um, they talk about this concept of dropping into a character um, and part of that is like to help memorise a script you take chunks of the script that you're memorising and you create imagery and a memory around the words you're saying so that it becomes easier to remember if not the exact words, then the meaning you're trying to convey. And that oftentimes when you have the meaning means that the words come through easier. And that's something that I used like when I, you know, learned Shakespeare monologues is it's less about the words and more about the meaning that you're trying to convey. So similar just idea. just the feeling at the time as well. There's yeah. the feeling that you having at that moment. Yeah. And for a RPG character who doesn't have a script, it becomes, I think, even more powerful and important to have those drop-in moments because they give you the entire vibe of like how your character would feel there were definitely points uh during the the game where like I would do something as Joseph and then go that's not how I I thought he would act like that might have been me as the player coming through a bit too much or just like I just was kind of not gelling with the decision and then also taking time away to go and like sit down and this is part of I guess some of my personal debriefing on characters was to sit down and be like right what didn't I like about that decision that was made why specifically do I not like it or do I not think it gels with this character and then what in this character's history either on stream or off stream would have created that reaction and then use that to sort of build both the character but also then create that sort of growth in that you know maybe when i created joseph he wouldn't have ever said this thing to this person but we've come such a long way or like they've hit a specific button that i didn't know he had yeah. and now he does um and uh spoiler he dies <laughs> it's called Cthulhu. I mean, we kind of yeah, expect everyone um, to die. But for me, the the most sort of amazing thing that happened with this specific character, I think, because A, I'd done so much research and, and created to, in my mind, like as close to another living, breathing human in my head as I possibly yeah. could. I'd also existed in his skin for like 20 something weeks. It was also the entire of lockdown was yeah. like he existed for lockdown and as lockdown was ending was when that particular campaign was coming to an end um and the penultimate session afterwards i knew that he pretty much he'd hit the point of no return and he was he was gonna die um because if mm. people didn't kill him he was gonna end the world um <laughs> and Again, Call of Cthulhu, it's kind of expected. Yeah, yeah, you know, Elder Gods summoning, summoning thereof, ripping open the sky, good times. But the, the sort of visceral reaction I had to knowing that this character was going to die was like something else. Like I literally spent a week kind of on and off sobbing because of like the grieving process of, of leaving this character behind. Um, and I, it was, it was weird. 
like it was really interesting to have that level of of connection with a character um but also like to know that that was the right thing to happen um yeah there's that element of coming through and knowing who this person is and knowing they have reached the end of their story Mm-hmm. And being able to understand they have done everything they can and yep. also being at peace with that. Yeah. But being and able I... to understand that they've reached that that goal. Not that maybe not the goal that they expected, but certainly being <laughs> able to the sto- no. Yeah. Their yeah, story sure. ends here. And that's yeah. that's right. And You've absolute hmm. power to the keeper who was running the game. Um that they still after everything they did actually ended up with quite a nice ending in a in a very bittersweet way like and that i think really helped to to process everything that had happened um but yeah that like call of cthulhu is one of the few games i think at this stage in me playing rpg specifically where that's the reaction i've had to saying goodbye to a character so I think for a lot of mm. D&D games, you say goodbye to a character, like either they die violently and you don't have much time to process at all, or they they disappear because your your game peters out or, mm. or something like that happens. Whereas like, I think this is one of the few times I've been in a situation to finish a campaign and mm-hmm. to sort of like say goodbye to a specific character who I can never bring back because they are well dead. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's... It's a really interesting system. And I think talking about research specifically, Call of Cthulhu is one of the, I'm not gonna say like one of the best games I've come across for giving you that opportunity of doing that research because it exists in earth history with some funky space cat shit. Um, but because it is rooted in the real 1920s or whenever it is like when H.P. Lovecraft was alive and being a racist um being a lot of things but mostly a racist (laughs) mostly a racist uh you have so much more history to look at and so much more to research Mm. um i was just gonna say it's given me an appreciation of history that i never had growing up like i was never particularly interested in you know modern history as it was but putting it in the context of like i'm a I'm trying to play a person in that time humanizes history in a way that other stuff maybe doesn't, you know, like dates and times. And yeah. It's like, you know, the prohibition act signed on such and such date. It's like, what does that mean? It means nothing looking at the words, but when you start to think about, well, how would this person that I'm going to be playing get their alcohol and it starts to be, you really start to look into these things. I found this, we were just developing, we're going to do a one shot call of Cthulhu. Just to learn the system, basically. And I started building a character. And I went, you know what? I like the name Guggenheim. And (laughs) I know the Guggenheim family was kind of around then. So Mm -hmm. I started researching who they were and how my character can fit into the family. And then going, wow, these people are, like, fascinating. I want to know more. And disregarded the character entirely and just started researching how the museum was, how the art gallery was built and all these other things. Yeah, it's it's stuff like that. You get this appreciation for our world through this fictional world where Cthulhu is trying to open up the door and eat the universe. Absolutely. And I think, like, one of the things that I really jazz with any TTRPG is when it gives you the opportunity, 
not only to like exist within a weird liminal semi-fantasy space whatever you you call that but for me my my favorite memories of um of games whatever system they're in are the ones where two characters did a human and everyone went oof that was human and (laughs) like it's it's the spaces within within the mechanical play where you watch people like interact with this fictional world in a way that either makes them like stronger than they would be in the real world or allows them to approach something that maybe they were uh, afraid of or hesitant of in the real world because it's that safe space of exploration. And in a lot of ways, I would say like, uh, role-playing games are like hyper reality because yeah. you get to say things and do things that you want to say and do in the real world but you can't because non-fantasy land says no <laughs> yeah so i don't know where i was going with that but i love tfrpgs that's pretty much it <laughs> no i think that's well let's hope but when do you start playing them i mean i I have a feel. I think we've talked about this before, and I yeah. think it was only a few. I mean, to me, it's been thirty years. So when I say a few, it may end up being like a decade for most people. Yeah. Um. I have. So my my first game of Dungeons and Dragons was uh, in three point five edition back okay. in the early to mid two thousands um, when I was mm-hmm. in high school. So I've been playing TTRPGs and, and theoretically D&D for like 15, 16 years, give or take, yeah. with some breaks here and there. Um, yeah. But yeah, we started in 3.5. Uh, I was hanging around with a bunch of my schoolmates um, who we just fluctuated at the time between playing Warhammer uh, Magic mm-hmm. video games. And then at this one point I was chatting to a mate and he was like, oh, we're going to be playing this game. It's called Dungeons and Dragons. I was like, okay. And he's like, you should come and make a character. And I'm like, okay. Uh, so I made a, a, a rope, an elf rope, I think, uh, as you as you want to do. Um, yeah. Do not remember the name of the character. Did remember very little about them, except that I was, like, really fascinated by the idea that I could, like, be someone else. And all of my other mates who were big, like, Warhammer gamers were like, we are going to min-max this shit. And you're like, okay. Yes, of course. <laughs> so There's such a crossover with Warhammer and D&D and it always turns into min-maxing. And I I have to try some of the Warhammer or the 40k RPGs to see yeah. if it's like that as much. It's, uh, it's I've got the like, starter kit. Apparently it's a really good, like I've heard from a few people that it's a really good system. So I'm like curious to try it because as someone who like, yeah, I came into Warhammer before D&D um although when I say into Warhammer like I collected a couple of sets and painted a few and then was like well I'm out of money now so I guess I'm just gonna watch or something I don't know um but I got really into like the the books they give you for the different um faction and oh, the yeah. storytelling in that and you're like yeah. these minis just look like minis but like there's a story attached to those minis and I kind of want to play that story like more than I want to move an army around a battlefield that like that costs hundreds of dollars and like ping things with dice and rulers um so 
I've sort of always been, I think, more attached to the narrative and role play aspects of things versus my original group who were min max and rules lawyers and i love all of them but uh <laughs> when you get introduced to dnd as min max and rules lawyering that's how you sort of take your understanding of dnd forward um yeah. and it was great we like there are still stories i remember from that time none good <laughs> um <laughs> just sort of stupid phrases and things that happen in in the world that we created and at the time i don't think uh, although I'm not entirely sure, but a lot of what we did was homebrew. Like for me, yeah. pre-written modules didn't exist. You know, we got together around the kitchen table. We would play for 12 to 14 hours straight. You know, we'd be up until God knows how early in the morning, going to like 24 hour IGAs to just get like chocolate milk and something to keep us going. <laughs> um And we'd tell these ridiculous fucking stories about these, you know, murder people who would just wander around with nothing better to murder do demigods them. basically by that i mean i don't think we were demigods because we were, we were pretty fucking stupid uh but we were definitely <laughs> like we were murderous you know murderous adventurers we were dnd we were dnd we buddy yeah you're a dnd um, buddy and like yeah they're just you know starting to realize that there was a you know you could exist in the world of fantasy like for someone whose sort of very early introduction to fantasy was harry potter <laughs> um and then things like um david eddings and the belgariad and like the the old sort of hero's journey there's a philosopher yeah. there's a there's a prophecy and you're gonna go there's a quest it. that you must go on yeah. there's the missing item that you must find yeah um you know and sort of in those liminal spaces of magic and prophecy and like things bigger than yourself and being able to sort of slip into that world, especially being a teenager in the mid two thousands, it's just like it was it was escapism that I tried to find in books before, and now I could actually like live it a bit, and that was mm. really something else. Um, I was also playing around the time that uh, R. A. Salvatore and his uh, Legend of Drizzt books were out, so you better believe that I was a drow rogue slash ranger <laughs> for a while. I don't think I had a pet, but definitely drow were like up there drow and tieflings have always been like you know the my my two favorites give me anything vaguely i find that fast always fascinating because i came in before even tieflings were a thing mm. and loving the idea of it because that's all planescape stuff and that was like just before i or just after i started getting into it mm. but i've never read the salvatore books so i've <laughs> never really discovered drizzt or any of the other and i feel like i should but it feels like also now that there's just that much law that I'm mm. I'm not going to have time. I guess like for me, I think I read so the Legend of Drizzt. I think it's a trilogy. Like it's only, I think it's only. Yeah, three. I think there's the and three, I'm and he shows sure up I, in others though. Yeah, I only read maybe the first book. I maybe read the, read the trilogy, but it was the first book that stuck with me because that's the description of like the drow matriarchal culture and like him escaping. And like the real, you know, quintessential understanding, I think, of sort of drow culture as it stood in the mid 2000s, questionable that was. Um, but it was fascinating because it was matriarchal and that was not really something that you saw a lot of. No, it was evil because. <laughs> because um, reasons. Because reasons. Because, because women. <laughs> yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, like 
seeing a different society and having it was my first introduction as well to like political intrigue in mm-hmm. in fantasy realms well before you know game of thrones did mm. a awful i really don't like those books <laughs> i have opinions on game of thrones um but yeah like sort of seeing the world through like this fantastical landscape through a different different lens even if it was a somewhat bigoted misogynistic lens was really fascinating um and being able to say like well you come from this culture that exists underground and like there's all of this sort of intrigue and fascination and magic and it just it felt a lot darker and grittier than your standard like we're adventurers and that Mm. fascinated me and i think i took that fascination through um when like i finally came back to D &D, uh and started running games so like high school was sort of my introduction to it once we all went to uni kind of stopped playing because it's uni and you meet different people and D &D, like just kind of wasn't on my radar and then i met someone like at a at a gym class essentially and uh like we got chatting and she said oh i'm in a D game i was like can i can i join and she was like i'll ask and i started playing again sort of uh be like you know 2011 2012 maybe um with fourth also edition before the renaissance yeah fourth edition yeah before the Jeez. renaissance absolutely so fourth edition uh, and that's where i started to learn about pre-written modules because the dm who was running for us was running pre-written uh fourth edition modules and i just kind of blew my mind that that was a thing that you could have like someone else wrote your story for you so no there's some great modules for fourth edition that i'm only just discovering (laughs) even just going back to the very origin of DD, they didn't publish like tsr did not publish Mm. pre-written modules because they just assumed everyone would want to write their own Mm -hmm. that is like this is look we've given you this game don't you want to play it and it was like yeah but i don't have time what else have you got for me (laughs) and someone else actually published the first written module yeah it's it's fascinating like i when i started playing DD, i really didn't know about the history of it i just knew it as the game that me and my mates played now being older and getting more involved in the the ttrpg landscape um and starting to run games learning about the history of DD and like also some of the history of all the shit that's wrong with it but like yeah. the, the history of D and where it came from and and the the initial ideas of the creators and how those have some have filtered through and some have been like you know gary gygax's it's role play with two l's you are like all right <laughs> mate sure that's an absolutely a thing that we do um yeah it's like the the history of dnd is is really fascinating um Mm. when you when you look at it like that but yeah pre-written modules totally like kind of it felt like cheating i'm not gonna lie Mm. like at the time i was like but why why pre-written um but I still played with a lot of people who, while they were a little bit more into role-playing, were still more like mechanics because 4th edition, while it had its improvements, was still, we're going to make the mechanics yeah. easier but not better. 
Um, yeah. And so it was still a very mechanical based game. It wasn't until um, I left that group because I skipped states uh, and started talking to a bunch of people at work being like, hey, I used to play D&D or I, I do play D&D and like, yeah. I really want to keep playing. And a bunch of people were like, yeah, we've always been really interested in playing. And I was like, awesome, we should get a group together. And they're like, yeah. And I'm like, fuck. <laughs> I'm the only one who's played before. Yeah. You're in charge um, now. Have fun with that. Yeah. And like, God, my first session was awful. It was with nine or 10 people. Uh, we were oh going God. through the Lost Minds of Fandela. Oh. Good thing was I did start DMing in the Renaissance. So like hmm. my my first session, Lost Minds of Fandela, 10 people, didn't know what I was doing was kind of working off a lot of my old assumptions about the way that D&D worked, that it was mechanics-based, that people would want to, like, be tactical about it, but also yeah. trying to, like, remember that what I loved about it was the role-play and the narrative aspect. Um, and, I mean, people had fun. It was yeah. still a shit show, but people had fun. Um, oh, the things I, the caves in Fandelva have seen, it's... I, I wonder about some of the horrors and some of the mischief and shenanigans like that have gone that, on in those places. The Cragmore Caves or whatever, like the first yep. caves you've gone into, yep. you probably turn that into a Cthulhu module, I'm not going to lie. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, once I sort of started DMing and realizing I was not good at DMing, I started going to look for things to make me better. You know, started mm. trolling the internet for trolling 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 both in it. um and i stumbled across the vin diesel one shot that matthew mercer ran yes and i watched it and i went that's not my experience of dnd that's fascinating like watching people play this game in a way that for me at least best reflected what i had always wanted out of the game like this role play kind of dr a theatrical dramatic like really getting into the world short of laughing um and as much as like you know i am wary about saying you know critical role is the reason that i dm the way i do and all that kind of stuff because it is and it isn't and there are a lot of people for whom that is going to sound shitty because their <laughs> games don't reflect that um it is it's one of the the things that made me start to think about games like character creation as much as mm. running you know npc creation in a more narrative uh improvisational you know character first sense um, yeah the the npc isn't a stat block it's like you don't come across merchant you come across yeah. an individual who is wanting these things and that comes first and the stat block might not even ever come up yeah very much so um and like if we go back to they like, talk about the history of dnd mm. in like was it first or maybe even second ed where you'd come across like a merchant and it would tell you how much gold he had on him yeah. and or in his house because it was just assumed that the players would try and rob him yeah like, or they try to sell him stuff and it's like well he's only got this much gold they're yeah. probably going to murder him too because he's only got this much gold and he can't sit by yep. their shit. <laughs> so the, the the fact that that kind of doesn't come up 
unless it's a monster and or like it's written into a module it's kind of left up to the dm to decide now um so yeah like coming into dnd again i guess like for the third time with fifth edition and i guess the renaissance of, of ttrpgs has just like sort of really opened the door to like all different kinds of game styles which i love you know i wouldn't say as much as like mercer has had a lot of impact on the way that i run games i've also put a lot of that aside and found other other storytellers other game masters and then just stuff that i like <laughs> um well, I yeah. think when you're moving into other systems as well, you do look at what else is out there. What other styles mm. can you play with? Because Mercer's got a very distinctive style, I think, mm. and it's a style that works particularly well for D&D. And Absolutely. you see other games that he runs, and they work just as well, but it is very much a D&D style that you have the fantasy aspects and you have it. And other games don't follow that format mm. a lot of the time, but they do have, like... Alice is missing. It's all text message. So yeah. those beautiful descriptions and the the speed of which he speaks, it's not going to work as well in a text message. So you need some other way of doing this. Uh, yeah, and vampires, absolutely. a similar way. The vampire may be a lot more about conversations between the characters and the the um, the storyteller is only going to be there to kind of adjudicate sometimes or poke them in the right direction or be the NPC. Yeah, I mean, definitely LA by Night uh, was probably another big turning point in at least my, you know, DMing or storytelling style, watching Jason Carl deliver things very dry, very sort of slowly in comparison to a lot of other games and seeing the way that he was able to bring NPCs to life while still uniquely without that sort of like voice actor improvisation, well, Improvisation, yes, but like that voice actor theatrical flair um, was just like really interesting to be like, okay, you don't have to always have a different voice for every character. Sometimes you just need a different attitude. And that yeah. can also be sort of really interesting. When um, you have their their goals in mind, the word, the tone doesn't matter. The, the sound doesn't matter. The words mm, matter. Yeah. It's like what they're saying to you is what's important. You don't even have to say it in character. You just need to say this is what they're saying to you. This is what yeah. you're getting out of it. And sometimes you don't have to put on that voice or that character all, hat. No. You're yeah. just giving them the information. Yeah, definitely. And like for anyone listening out there, uh, <laughs> absolutely. You do not need to be in character to tell a narrative and character driven yeah. story. Like you can narrate and that's an absolutely valid way of, of expressing information. I coming from, you know, and I enjoy the entertainment aspect of slipping on an NPC mm. character or, you know, even a PC character and getting into their skin and reacting to the players that I have who are, you know, interested in role-playing and enjoy doing it. Um, I like that aspect. That's something that just really is what I love about TTRPGs. Um, but it is not the only way to play as much as, you know, I feel like a lot of people... As fun as it do, is. Yeah, it's... I feel a lot of people who talk about, like, role-playing games or who go on streams on in role-playing games are the kind of people who like to entertain. And so I yeah. think a lot of what is available to watch and to, to listen to 
leans more towards that theatrical style just because of the nature of the kind of people who are going to be doing those two things um but it is yeah it's not <laughs> it's absolutely not the only way to play and i definitely was you know my character does this very cool thing when i started because i wasn't playing with role players and it felt weird to talk in character that's fine <laughs> well that's i mean it's it's every person it's it's your game at the table it's the game yeah. that, it's your fun so that's you find your fun yeah it is always your fun i could honestly keep talking all day about this i think we could do like an entire day's worth of episode but i do know that it's um it's a sunday and we need to do other things as well thank you so much for coming on where can people find you online uh where can they watch uh your new character since joseph died <laughs> oh yes my my new didn't even talk about vivian Go no on. We, um, i, I want to get you back on and we'll talk about vivian maybe after vivian dies, <laughs> eventually oh uh, yeah vivian vivian is something else yeah. um I, uh, so Art Hunter, uh, you can find me on Twitter at art underscore the underscore DM. Um, that is sort of like the main place that I hang out and throw pointless thoughts onto the internet. Um, and I am uh, one of the cast on the Chaosium's official live stream channel, which is uh, twitch.tv slash Chaosium Inc. Um, or you can find all of the VODs on YouTube at youtube.com i think it's still chaosium inc i'm not entirely sure of the exact one but we play uh every saturday morning 9 a.m australian eastern time and i think that translates like 2 p.m in the u.s on a friday yeah um but yeah every week uh come and watch us go absolutely batshit insane excellent i go check it out i'm loving the um the stream at the moment uh but and the last thing i do ask every guest to do is to say farewell mm. to our listeners um possibly as joseph one last chance to to say goodbye Ooh, uh all right um well as uh as dr joseph waved i, I just want to say thank you so much for uh, for listening and, and taking the time to have a chat with me and uh well i really hope you have a manifest day now that's all for this week thank you so much for listening i really appreciate that you took the time out of your day to come along and hear me talk with this wonderful guest who i thank again for coming on and talking with me if you enjoyed the episode and you're on apple podcasts i would love it if you could go and leave us a review five stars will get us out to more listeners and if you share it with your friends as well that's an even better way since we don't pay for any advertising on this channel we can be found on other podcast networks as well we are hosted by soundcloud where my other podcast is hosted as well of dice and dms where i talk about dungeons and dragons and other role-playing games with some of my friends you can find news about the show on facebook and instagram at tell me about your dnd or you can see us on twitter which is at tell me your dnd art for the episode is done by torich desky and music is by poddington bear until next time thank you so much for listening stay safe may all your hits be crits.